I'm Dennis Tubergen. You are listening to the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio Program. Glad you decided to listen in today. Hey, for the entire month of August, I am offering a free copy of my August special report titled Five Reasons to Consider a Roth IRA Conversion Now. And when you request the report by visiting requestyourreport.com, you'll also get bonus information in addition to the report that outlines the revenue sourcing planning process, which has been designed to help you achieve a comfortable, stress-free retirement in today's crazy investing and economic environment. So again, to get your copy of the August special report, as well as the bonus information, visit requestyourreport.com. The website again, requestyourreport.com. Well, interestingly, we have a new law recently passed called the Inflation Reduction Act. Now, on the surface, given all the inflation that exists, an act that is designed to reduce inflation sounds like a terrific idea. The trouble is, in my view and in the view of many others, this act will do exactly the opposite of what its name implies. It won't reduce inflation. It will simply add to the inflation problem that we are now facing, in my view. Now, before I get into a bit of what this law will do, I think it's important to understand some basic math. When the government or any other entity spends more than what it takes in, expenditures exceed income, and the result is something we call a deficit. If you spend more than you take in, you have a deficit, and deficit spending needs to be covered somehow. Now, typically, in the case of a government, if you spend more than you take in, you borrow money to make up the shortfall. Now, if you have repeated chronic deficit spending, like the United States government does, you will eventually find the pool of lenders willing to cover deficit spending shrink. And this pool of lenders will ultimately shrink to the point that there are no lenders left to cover the operating deficit. When the country becomes too great a credit risk, nobody loans the country money. Now, this is essentially where the U.S. is presently. The Federal Reserve has become the lender of last resort, creating currency to at least indirectly cover the operating deficit. As we all know, the massive level of currency creation that we have seen has led to inflation despite attempts, at least recently, to spin the inflation story more favorably. Now, the bottom line is this. The math is simply undeniable. When deficit spending can only be covered by currency creation, you have reached, in my view, a point of no return. The math dictates that expenditures must not exceed income if currency creation is to cease. Now, let me put that another way. You have to have a balanced budget if currency creation is to cease. Now, that is the reality 
of accounting math. And that accounting math is reality every place on the planet except in Washington, D.C. Only in Washington, D.C. could a group of politicians pass a massive spending bill that will require more currency creation to fund, despite the narrative to the contrary, and call it an Inflation Reduction Act. Now, in my view, this is laughable if the ultimate economic consequences of this recklessness weren't so serious. Now, Dr. Ron Paul, a former presidential candidate and congressman and former guest here on this program, commented, He said, quote, the Affordable Care Act, No Child Left Behind, and the USA Patriot Act received new competition for the title of most inappropriately named bill when Senate Democrats unveiled the Inflation Reduction Act. This bill will not only increase inflation, it will also increase government spending and taxes. As we just reviewed, Looking at the irrefutable economic and accounting math, if government spending increases and taxes, tax revenues do not increase uh, commensurately, then what you have is an increasing deficit, which has to be funded through increased currency creation. Now, Dr. Paul says this, inflation is the act of currency creation by the Federal Reserve. High prices are one adverse effect of inflation, along with bubbles and the bursting of bubbles. One reason the Federal Reserve increases the money supply is to keep interest rates low. That that enables the federal government to run large deficits without incurring unmanageable interest payments. Now, Paul correctly points out that the Inflation Reduction Act does increase government spending, and he offers some examples. The bill does authorize spending hundreds of billions of dollars on energy and fighting climate change. Much of this is subsidies for renewable energy, in other words, green corporate welfare, according to Dr. Paul. Government programs subsidizing certain industries take resources out of the hands of investors and entrepreneurs who allocate resources in in accordance with the wants and needs of consumers and instead give the resources to the government where resources are allocated according to the agendas of politicians and bureaucrats. When government takes resources out of the market, it also disrupts the price system through which entrepreneurs Investors, workers, and consumers discover the true value of goods and services. And Paul, in my view, correctly concludes that green energy programs will lead to increased cronyism and increased waste. Now, Paul said the bill's authors, the bill again is the Inflation Reduction Act, the bill's authors claim Legislation fights inflation by reducing the deficit via tax increases. However, Paul points out that tax increases won't increase the deficit if Congress continues to increase spending, which, with this bill, is the case. Paul also comments that there's never a good time to raise taxes, but the absolute worst time for tax increases is when, as is the case today, 
The economy is both suffering from price inflation and, despite the gaslighting coming from the Biden administration and its apologists, is in a recession. And I have been saying that it's my belief that the U.S. is in a recession since the beginning of the year. Paul said if Congress was serious about ending inflation, it would cut spending, starting with overseas militarism and corporate welfare. A Congress that took inflation seriously would also take the first step toward restoring a free market monetary system by passing audit the Fed and legalizing competition in currency. Now, I believe Dr. Paul has this absolutely correct. The math doesn't lie, and it really doesn't matter what you call this bill, more inflation will be the result. Now, if you're just joining me, I'd like to invite you to get your copy of the August special report titled Five Reasons to Consider a Roth IRA Conversion Now. When you request the report, I'll also send you some bonus information on the revenue sourcing planning process, including two copies of two different best-selling books, one being revenue sourcing. To get the free report, Five Reasons to Consider a Roth IRA Conversion Now and the bonus information, Visit requestyourreport.com. The website again, requestyourreport.com. I will return after these words with my special guest, Mr. Jeffrey A. Tucker. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I have the pleasure of chatting once again today with returning guest, Mr. Jeffrey A. Tucker. Uh, Jeffrey is the founder and president of the Brownstone Institute. You can go to brownstone.org and learn more. Uh, Jeffrey is also the author of many thousands of articles. Uh, he uh, is the editor of The Best of Mises, and he writes a daily column on economics at the Epic Times. Jeffrey, welcome back to the program. Dennis, it's always great to be here with you. Thank you. Well, thank you for joining us. I know you're a very busy guy. Uh, Jeffrey, at brownstone.org, you have uh, published uh, a number of articles. You're a prolific writer. And you talked a bit about um, the health of the labor markets. Uh, I can tell you in the small business that uh, I am a part of here in West Michigan that uh, we're having the same labor market struggles as many businesses across the country. Uh, what's your take on why we are where we are? Well, that's a big question, but let's just uh, just observe the data uh, in the first place. Uh, the Biden administration was bragging about all these great new jobs that are being created. Um, I think I forget the numbers now, the 520,000 or something absurd. And, so you compare that to the labor participation rates and worker population ratios, and what you see is a dramatic fall in just the sheer number of people who are working or on the job market at all. So yes, unemployment is what 3.6%, but that's just the people who are on the market. The greater mystery is the people that are out of the market. So there's a, 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 a huge labor shortage and certain kinds of labor 
and a big surplus in other kinds of labor. Um, and we can talk about what that means. But, uh, but you only have to use your intuition. How does it happen that we have fewer people working but far more jobs? <laughs> and, and the answer is uh, that people have given up full-time jobs to take two or three part-time jobs. And that was my supposition. I went in, dug through the data, and that turns out to be absolutely true. Um, people are, 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 having, are scrambling to um, make up for the loss of living standards and the devastating consequences of this inflation that's happening that you and I have been predicting for years. And uh, just trying to pay the bills. So there's two things happening. They're taking second jobs, working nights and weekends, and then also going deeper in debt on their credit cards. So this is creating a huge problem in the labor markets. You, in your little introduction there, hinted that you're experiencing that in your own business. I think I know exactly what you're referring to. You can't get anybody to do work that needs to be done. <laughs> you're exactly right. <laughs> Yeah, you've got a lot of things that need to be done, and you put out job descriptions. You get a thousand uh, uh, people to reply to your uh, to apply for the job, none of whom show up to the interview, and and most of the applications are not really suitable for for what you're going for because you're looking for people with skills, and it's just a mystery, and it's people are starting to panic, and if you're worried about it, I'm worried about it, everybody's worried about it. Finding people on the market looking for jobs that have skills and want to do work in exchange for payment it turns out to be extremely difficult now. And this is we've never seen anything like this in our lifetimes. We've never seen anything like this. So Jeffrey, what what is the core uh, what, what's the core problem here? I mean, this just seems to me, uh, and I haven't looked at the data like you have. I just, uh, you know, talked to a lot of people that are business owners that are experiencing the same thing. Um, what, 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 how long can this be sustained? I mean, how long can people just stay out of the labor force? Uh, it's completely unsustainable, and it's going to drive the recession. This is what I don't think people really understand, and I don't think there's anybody who really seriously doubts that we're in a recession. We are in a recession. The housing starts this morning prove it, um, <clears throat> plus two-quarters of decline in GDP. Uh, so we are in a recession, but if you can't find people to do work for you, uh, you are going to be less productive. And I wrote an article the other day. Uh, examining the labor productivity data, which truly in our lifetimes and in our parents' lifetimes and their parents' lifetimes, we've never seen such low labor productivity uh, uh, ever in, in, in the history of this data. That's calculated by uh, looking at output compared to the number of worker hours uh, that uh, go into it, and it's just it's just falling off the charts. So <clears throat> you keep asking the question why, and I keep delaying answering it. Um, uh, by the way, I didn't uh, notice that. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's because there's it's a complicated, but and so weighing out these factors, this is where you get into I think the area of speculation rather than data. There are demographic changes. People have moved all over the country. We've seen the biggest largest upheaval in migratory uh, demographic trends that we've seen probably since the 1880s or something like that. It's just been huge when people just fleeing, basically fleeing lockdowns and fleeing 
uh, I mean, broad terms, blue states uh, for red states or worse blue states for better blue states or cities for suburbs and so on. So there's that. There's also the fact that lockdowns prompted a lot of people who were on the verge of retirement to just fail. I'm just going to give this up and, and uh, live off my, my 401k. There's that factor. There's a huge element of number of women who have left uh, the workforce because they were unable to find childcare. Once the economy opened back up again, they had already dropped their jobs to take care of their kids at home, you know, uh, become homeschoolers. The thing that used to be banned, which is now suddenly for a couple of years became mandatory in many states. <laughs> but the child care, but child care was shut down too during the pandemic and didn't recover from it. So if you can't get child care, then you can't you can't go back to, you can't go back to work. So that's a huge factor. There's also Dennis something else, and I think your listeners and you will understand what I'm talking about. As I say, you can't see it in the data. There's an element of demoralization that I think explains the remaining uh, balance of this whole problem. People have generally lost ambition. Uh, they've um, uh, given up uh, the idea of, of progress. You look at the University of Michigan consumer sentiment, we've never seen it this low, ever, ever recorded. It's never been this low. And that 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 is also worker sentiment. Those all workers are consumers. So it all goes together. People have just lost a sense of hope, vision, progress. In other words, we've got millions of people in this country that have said, have just decided to say, uh, what's the point? What's the point? And you might say, well, that's ridiculous. People need money to pay their bills. Yeah, uh, they do. But, you know, there's plenty of societies that are poor simply because they don't have a culture of progress, a culture of work, a culture of the work ethic. And that's, that's, what's, that's what seems to have uh, undergone such a dramatic change in the last years. And I, I will add, though, that it was like the lockdowns that unleashed a kind of beast that was already present in the American uh, public with, with young people getting degrees that, 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 that cost $200,000 to teach them nothing. Uh, young people have left the workforce when they're young, so they don't have any skills. They get out into the marketplace. They think they're going to get a job being a literary critic or whatever it is that they think. So people lack skills um, and uh, they don't have a work ethic. And so when lockdowns came, there's a whole generation of people that just thought, well, I guess this is all pointless and money is for nothing. And uh, I don't have to do anything anymore. So that what I'm calling the sort of demoralization of the American worker, uh, I think, is the final explanation for what's happening. So, Jeffrey, would it be your view then, just listening to you, that, that uh, you know, a lot of these problems really uh, existed, uh, a lot of these trends maybe existed prior to the lockdowns, but the lockdowns would be the proverbial straw that broke the back of the camel. Is that is that a fair assessment of what you just said? That's the exact metaphor I was going to use, uh, and it's a good one. It's overused, but it, it explains everything. So we had a, a, a vast amount of problems already in place. And the lockdowns just kind of, kind of tipped it over, you know. Um, it, it just it took every terrible cultural, economic, political trend we had in American life and intensified it by a million fold. And that's what we're dealing with right now. And I, you look at the data all the time. You study this stuff all the time, and you know the feeling of just. 
suddenly going into a wild brain fog because it's impossible to keep up with the sheer number of problems, whether it's the labor markets or the, or the inflation or the, the housing market, the understanding whether the latest um, uh, uh, rallies on, on the financial markets are real, how long are they going to go on? Uh, looking at the astronomical numbers uh, in congressional spending, where it seems like every few weeks they pass another bill that has weird numbers on it, like 200, 500, 700, 800 billion. You know, all these problems are linked, and they all trace back to you know, a, a, a kind of a rot that was already present, but it was all revealed it was locked out. So, Jeffrey, we at the beginning of the segment uh, talked about the fact that this is not sustainable. So how does this whole situation reverse itself in your view? Well, I think we're probably going to – oh, reverse itself, you mean fix itself? Correct. Uh-huh. Well, you know, look, the fix is not, <laughs> fix is not uh, hard to imagine. It's just hard to implement. Um, I think we need to uh, we need we need to get back to constitutional government. We need to have uh, Congress that's 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 frugal. Uh, we need money that is sound. Um, I, I had the great fortune last week of, of of going through all my my mother's personal effects as she's being moved to assisted living, and she had a big bag of coins that we kept in the family and my father collected and she hadn't opened it in 25 years and it was glorious. I mean, uh, rifling through all the, the, the gold and silver there, I thought, well, you know, this is, this is the essence of the man. My father, my father was, he trusted only things that he could really believe in that were true, that had long-term value. And <clears throat> he believed in sound money. And, and here's the thing, Dennis, this country used to believe and sound money. We used to believe in real things. We used to believe in independence and, and, and human liberty and, and restraints on government. And with that came the gold standard and, and, and people living good lives, you know, and, and putting off current consumption for future investment. All those things we associate with bourgeois society, that's what this country used to be. And I was sad going through that, that, that big, huge bag of coins because uh, sometimes it's easy to forget that that's who we were. That's how we lived. We believed in truth and integrity in all of our personal lives and in our institutions, in government, in banking, in finance. You know, and and the, the truth was preeminent. And those that's not a myth. It's not a story. It's not a. It's not some sort of movie. That was the way life really was. And we've come so far away from that at this point. Um, my hope, Dennis, is that the disaster of our times and all the trauma we've been through is going to shock enough people in this country uh, to lead to a dramatic change. I don't mean small little reforms. So elect the Republicans and they do this or that. I mean, we need to seriously rethink where we're going as a country, what we left behind, and where we want to go in the, uh, in the future. That, and it needs to be foundational, it needs to be fundamental. Well, my guest today is Mr. Jeffrey A. Tucker. He's the founder and president of the Brownstone Institute. I would encourage you to check out the uh, excellent work the Brownstone Institute does at brownstone.org. I will return after these words and continue my conversation with Mr. Jeffrey Tucker. 
Welcome back to RLA Radio. My guest today is Mr. Jeffrey A. Tucker. If you're just joining me, Jeffrey is the founder and president of the Brownstone Institute. The website to check it out is brownstone.org. Jeffrey uh, is also a prolific author. Uh, His most recent book, Liberty or Lockdown, uh, I would encourage you to read. I have done so. He's also the editor of The Best of Mises and a daily columnist for the Epic Times. So, Jeffrey, let's just jump in where um, we kind of left off in the last segment. You were talking about, you know, we, we, we really need a frugal Congress. We need sound money. Uh, to use another metaphor, you're preaching to the choir there uh, when, when talking to me about that. Um, you know, a frugal Congress just, it seems like fantasy. I mean, we have this Inflation Reduction Act, which uh, in my view will do nothing but create more inflation. Uh, you know, you don't, you don't uh, get inflation under control by spending more money you don't have. So, I mean, how does this whole thing re- reverse? How do we get a frugal Congress? Is it going to take just a, a devastating crisis to ultimately get there? We've been working on this whole issue of frugal Congresses now for decades and decades and decades. Remember all the balanced budget amendments and this and this and this. And why doesn't it happen? And I'll tell you why. Because the Federal Reserve gives Congress blank checks that do not bounce. That's the reason. I mean, think about it. You have a son goes off to college, right? And, and you give him a credit card and say, uh, don't spend too much. What, what happens if you spend too much? Nothing. Oh, so there's no downside to spending uh, this on whatever? Uh, no, no, no. I'm just telling you, you know, go easy on things. <coughs> What's going to happen? You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's the Congress, right? They've got, they've got unlimited amounts of checks they can write. And the Federal Reserve is always going to be there. And just to quickly explain how this works, the Fed's always going to be there to buy the debt that the Treasury makes to fund the Congress, and they buy that debt with newly created money, and they can do what that with that newly created money what they want. They can stick in the vault like they did in 2008, or they can put it hot in the streets like they did in 2020 and create some massive inflation in 2021. It doesn't matter. We'll never be able to get the Congress under control until we can control that. And you only need to think about the way state governments work, right? State governments have to balance their their uh, budgets. They have to. And they, they, they can't just uh, float bonds that are uh, don't have a risk premium associated with them. We know this. So if we could get the federal government to operate the same way our state and local governments do, <coughs> we would, pardon me. We would um, be able to restrain spending because there wouldn't, there would, the money wouldn't be there. So, Je- Jeffrey, you know, when you when you take a look at where the Fed is presently, just to 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 go down that path a little bit further. We have inflation uh, at, at levels we haven't seen in four decades. Uh, this this reckless policy that the Fed has been pursuing is now really putting the pinch on you know every American, but certainly uh, lower income Americans are really feeling it. As you indicated in the first segment, uh, people are uh, you know adding debt to their credit cards, and I think credit card debt this year earlier has doubled from February to March, if I recall. So I mean we're we're in this situation that the Fed's really painted into a corner. They have inflation that is is, is is running really hot, uh, and you know interest rates really can't be raised to the point that they would need to be to get inflation under control. As I see it, are we really near the end of the road here for the Fed? And and and, and what's your take? They they can't they can't. So recently, the inflation data gave the 
which 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 pulled back in some sectors and went up in other areas, depending on how you weighted it. It looks like it's you know uh, uh, flat relative uh, over over thirty days, which only Biden calculates inflation that way. We usually calculate it year over year. But the point is, the propaganda gave Fed an excuse to cut back on its uh, war on inflation, so that gives them an opportunity between now and the midterms to. Uh, just kind of you know, don't do anything. And maybe maybe they're going to experiment with 25, 50 basis points again, which isn't going to get us anywhere. The problem, Dennis, is that since uh, March of 2020 up to now, <clears throat> the Federal Reserve created as measured by M2 6.3 trillion brand new pieces of paper. Okay, so that's a problem. These papers are like little pathogens. They, uh, uh, they, uh, the more of it you print, the higher prices go. But how that happens, where that happens, <clears throat> is really up to, uh, you know, the the patterns of circulation. So we saw it hit food, and then it hit energy, pulled back in energy, went to housing, <clears throat> and it goes from housing to electricity. And I think, <clears throat> and this is my theory, and you can you can agree or disagree. But one of the things the CPI, which is a consumer price index, and the PPI, and the producer price index, do not measure as the price increases is the increase in financials. But those are prices just like the price of eggs. The price of Microsoft stock is just like the price of gasoline. They're just, they're all prices. So we could see the inflation migrate out of um, some sectors over to the financial markets, and that could entirely account for what we're seeing as the the end of the bear markets in the beginning, what seems like a bit of a, a recovery we're seeing in financial markets. So I'm telling you is, the very well could be that this is not based, in fact, we know this, it's not based on genuine value. It's not based on foundations. It's not based on fundamentals. It could just be another way in which inflation is expressing itself. In this case, it's not measured properly by the government. <clears throat> but newly printed money doesn't care how you measure it. It's still going to find a home. It's got to become endemic. So this stuff that we call um, new money uh, is is an absolute poison, and it's still out there. And I, I, it's hard to put numbers on this, but I would say we've seen maybe 10, 15% of the effects of what they did over the last two years. <clears throat> we still got a long way to go to observe the way this uh, damage takes place. Jeffrey, in the time we have left, uh, you wrote a piece uh, recently uh, titled A Deeper Dive into the CDC Reversal, and uh, I wanted to just touch on that with you in the uh, four minutes or so that we have left. Um, give the listeners maybe that aren't familiar with uh, what happened uh, just a, a brief overview and uh, why did it take so long? Well, there was never was an exit strategy from lockdowns. You know, initially they said you have to lock down because you're going to spread the passage and we don't want that. We want to slow the spread, stop the spread, get rid of the virus. Okay, that was never viable. It was never going to happen. The virus had to become endemic. And we had to, at some point, recognize that human beings are human beings. We have to go to baseball games and movies and restaurants and travel and that sort of thing. So you, what you have right now, and also <laughs> the CDC's uh, war on the virus flopped. It utterly, completely failed. And we've known that for at least, uh, we've known that for two years, but it was definitively, definitively proven in December of, of, of 2021 when <clears throat> everybody got sick. And, and you know, then Biden got sick. The spokespeople got sick. And all the senators got sick. And even the head of 
Pfizer, uh, Pfizer uh, Pharmaceuticals just came down with COVID a couple of days ago, despite its four jabs. So, so you've got a problem. The CDC has been completely discredited. And they finally came out with a very carefully worded statement saying, basically, everybody go back to normal. We don't need to distinguish between the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. <clears throat> you can uh, travel around. You can do whatever you want. Don't get tested unless you're sick. No kidding. So they, they granted everything. And it's basically a uh, turgid, uh, 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 strangely stated uh, way of re- restating the Great Barrington Declaration. That's all the CDC said. <clears throat> well, if anything, that statement has unleashed massive public anger. You know, you just have to ask yourself, why did we do this to ourselves and to our country and to the world? Why did we embark on this insane millenarian project to get rid of a virus as if governments can somehow outsmart the pathogenic world. It's insanity. It's, it's even slightly crazier than believing that the governments can somehow control the climate. So, <laughs> yeah, right? So, the, you know, so this all happened the other day. It's deeply embarrassing for the CDC. They have egg on their face, but they had to say something. They couldn't continue this uh, charade forever. They had to admit, finally, uh, uh, reality without ever admitting, of course, that they were wrong. So, Jeffrey, do you see that, uh, you know, we'll, we'll ever go back down that road again? I mean, there's, there's, uh, you know, monkey pox is making the news. And, you know, my, my worst fear is that we, 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 we make these same mistakes again. Uh, well, what, what do you think? You're right to fear that. And the reason is that there's so many people who made money off the last uh, scam that they're going to try to pull it off again. And and instead of getting rid of the bureaucracies, they're doing the opposite. They are enhancing them, funding them more, centralizing them more. They're going to try to make federalist solutions like we saw in South Dakota and Florida and Texas opened up. Uh, they're going to try to make that impossible in the future. So they're setting up everything. Everything is has in place for new rounds of lockdowns and surveillance and uh, 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 just this, this toasted dystopian nightmare that you see in China today. That's what they want to do with this. They want to, that's what they want to do to the country. Whether they're going to be able to get away with it is another thing. I really feel like, I don't know, I've, we really are at a turning point in American history. You know, we really do need to ask ourselves what kind of country we want to be. And if we want to be, if we want to be a country of laws and the Constitution and believe in freedom and have a Bill of Rights and all that sort of thing that we sing about every 4th, 4th of July, we're going to have to make some dramatic changes. And that's going to require defunding the uh, uh, public health bureaucracies, getting rid of the CDC, starting to really tear apart this administrative administrative state apparatus that's been ruling our lives for the last year. We can we can never go back. But that, I think you put your finger on it. This is the great struggle. You know, uh, are we going to do this forever? <clears throat> are we going to are we going to take a different direction? And the truth of the matter is that that the answer to this question will affect every single person's life. Which is why it's the moral obligation of every. American to throw himself or herself into the intellectual battle right now. We have to have this conversation and we've got to get loud, we've got to get noisy, and we've got to make it impossible just by the sheer force of public opinion to ever let this happen again. 
Well, that's a great place to end our conversation. My guest today has been Mr. Jeffrey A. Tucker. He is the founder and president of the Brownstone Institute. You can go to brownstone.org to read uh, Jeffrey's work, and there are uh, many, many terrific contributors. I would encourage you to check out the website. Jeffrey, always a pleasure to catch up with you. Uh, thank you for joining us today, and love to have you back for an update down the road. I appreciate it so much, Dennis. Thanks so much for having me. All the best to you. You as well. We will return after these words. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen, and thanks again to my special guest, Mr. Jeffrey A. Tucker, for joining me on today's program. You know, in the last segment with Jeffrey, we talked a bit about needing a frugal Congress and needing sound money to actually get back to a point that we can have a sustainable economy. Now, when you look at all the new spending that is included in the Inflation Reduction Act, the bill is, again, approaching a trillion dollars in total expenditures. Now, when you hear a trillion, you know, we're, we're almost immune to what that means. We don't really think about how large a trillion is. Now, Nick Giambruno this past week published an article titled, It's Game Over for the Fed, Expect a Monetary Rug Pull Soon. And the piece makes a lot of the same points that I have been making about the Fed's options. But in the article, Mr. Giambruno talks about the fact that a trillion dollars is a huge, huge number. He puts it in perspective this way. If you earned a dollar per second, it would take 11 days to make a million dollars. It would take 31 and a half years to make a billion dollars, and it would take 31,688 years to make a trillion dollars. That's how enormous a trillion is. So he points out that when politicians start spending and the Federal Reserve starts creating currency in the amount of trillions of dollars, you are in very dangerous territory, and that's exactly what's been going on. Now, Jeffrey Tucker talked about this during my interview with him on today's program as well, but if you go from the founding of the United States, it took 227 years for the United States to create its first $6 trillion in currency. But in just a matter of months, the U.S. government created another $6 trillion. So if you want to know where the inflation is coming from, you have your answer. During the past couple years, the U.S. currency supply increased by 41%. It's the biggest monetary explosion that has ever, con- ever occurred in the United States, likely that's ever occurred period. Now, as long as the average person doesn't notice rising prices, the Fed can get away with currency creation and the government can get away with deficit spending. 
However, once the price increases become painful enough, it creates political pressure for the Fed to combat inflation by raising interest rates. And that's the course of action that the Fed is on presently. Or I should say, allegedly on presently. Now, the reality is that in order to get inflation under control, it's my belief and it's the belief of many others that you really need to have positive interest rates on a real basis. So if inflation is running at about 10%, which is the approximate official inflation rate, and you can get 2% yield on a 10-year U.S. Treasury note, you have a negative return of 8%, negative 8%. You have to actually get to a positive real interest rate to get inflation under control. There has to be a reason or an incentive to save money. Now, the amount of federal debt presently at about $31 trillion is so extreme that even a return of interest rates to their historical average would mean paying an interest expense at the federal level that would consume more than half of tax revenues. Interest expense would eclipse Social Security, it would eclipse defense spending, and it would become the largest item in the federal budget. Now, we have a heavy, heavily manipulated number in the Consumer Price Index. It is already breaking 40-year highs as far as inflation is concerned. So if interest rates were to go to 10% or higher to get inflation under control, which would be my viewpoint, it would mean the U.S. government is actually paying more for the interest expense than it takes in from taxes. So the Fed here is totally painted into a corner. So if you were to have the Federal Reserve now raise interest rates to a level that would allow them to get inflation under control, it would expose the fact that the federal government is broke. And if the Fed continues to subsidize deficit spending, it just means that the inflation problem is going to continue to get worse. So essentially, GM Bruno breaks this whole process down and simplifies it. He says there's three steps. One, Congress spends trillions more than the federal government takes in from taxes. Step two, the Treasury issues debt or sells bonds to cover the difference. And step three, the Federal Reserve creates currency out of thin air to buy the debt, which creates inflation. That's why I do not expect inflation to get under control until we have some type of a deflationary evolution, some type of deflationary reset. Now, when you order the August special report, five reasons to consider a Roth IRA conversion now, I will also include for you a lot of information about the revenue sourcing planning process. The revenue sourcing planning process is designed for today's environment. It's designed to help you achieve a comfortable, stress-free retirement, despite the fact that we will have inflation followed by deflation, as we've been talking about here on the program uh, for a very long time. So to get all this information, visit requestyourreport.com, and I'll be glad to send you the August special report. 
as well as all the information on the revenue sourcing planning process. It is absolutely free. Uh, you'll also, in the report, get some reasons to think about converting to a Roth IRA presently. Uh, we're going to talk in the report and show you how a Roth IRA conversion could help you maximize your Social Security, how many of those who are retired can have a completely tax-free retirement, why present market conditions may make Roth IRA conversions more attractive, and why what you've been told about the deductibility of IRA and 401k contributions is wrong. So that's all in the August special report. I'll send you that along with all the revenue sourcing information by visiting requestyourreport.com. That website, again, is requestyourreport.com. That's all the time I have for this week's program. Hope you got something you can use. I'll be back again next week.